Hello, welcome to the Borderlines podcast. Uh, uh, Peter Edelman here, and uh, I'm joined today. That we're, well, we're actually just the three of us today uh, to talk about the uh, election platforms, which um, Steve has motivated us to, to get together and review these platforms and talk about them. Uh, so, which is good for us. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate Steve getting us to do this. So, thank you, Steve. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve is always the gadfly in the group. It's yeah, good. We it's need good. one. We need one. Um, uh, so basically, uh, yeah, our plan was to just go through the different issues um, based on the platforms that have been posted to the different websites, uh, which the it looks like most of the parties now have platforms, which they is why we're recording. The conservatives today. did it just today. Just today. So we've had lots of time to, to study the platforms, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're going to start with. Um, just we're going to start with issues uh, or specific issues with respect to the uh, and the first issue we're going to look at that a number of the uh, the parties have positions on is with respect to who decides um, and there's two issues uh, that are kind of interrelated one is a levels issue um, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, distinction with respect to the levels uh, in the different parties Um Except for, I guess, two parties have taken specific positions on the levels. Yeah. Uh, well, let's do the who decides issue first. And so what that means is who has control and gets to decide and design immigration programs for Canada. Should it be the federal government? Should it be the provinces? Um, or as one party has suggested, the liberals, should some of the control be ceded to municipalities and right now I think what except for the so right now Quebec controls most of its economic immigration programs if not all of them to some extent and there's also provincial nomination programs which are programs that all the different provinces have where they can nominate individuals the federal government still gets to decide whether the people will ultimately be able to immigrate to Canada around issues of criminality or medical or other inadmissibilities, but the provinces get to dictate who qualifies for their immigration program. So this year, for example, the provincial nomination program out of about 174,000 immigrants is supposed to be 57,000, so about a third. So I don't know if one of you wants to talk about the different, some of the different proposals around who decides. Um, the big one being, well, the block, the block mm-hmm. which unsurprisingly would like Quebec to have more control over, uh, over immigration levels, uh, and to have Quebec decide. Um, which is interesting that the 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 one for, for me anyways that the 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 one province that's uh, that talks about the assessment of regional impact on immigration that still has the Quebec Investor Program which has an impact on other provinces <laughs> and that Quebec profits from um, is uh, something that isn't mentioned in the block platform which I, I don't know why they've they've mysteriously not left that out. Uh, 
But the um, uh, there seems to be some concern from the Bloc Québécois with respect to the regions in Quebec, which the regions, my understanding of les régions, would be the areas outside of Quebec or possibly outside of Quebec and Montreal, and or sorry, out of, outside of Montreal uh, or possibly outside of Montreal and Quebec City. But uh, that there's labor shortages and that they want more uh, ability to bring in temporary foreign workers um, and to have an ability to give conditional permanent residence conditional on people going into the regions. Um, Those are proposals that I think are very consistent with provincial nominee programs in general, which tend to prioritize certain in BC, we prioritize certain economic regions uh, in the in the provincial program. You know, Saskatchewan had a program for farmers at one point. There's, you know, we have all kinds of different programs that encourage people to go into certain industries or certain regions. And a bigger shift also in Quebec that the Bloc is seeking is that they want, from the sounds of it, they want control over non-economic immigration as well, specifically the humanitarian and compassionate stream, um, which would be a pretty drastic shift in terms of who's responsible for immigration if uh, the Bloc Quebec, well not the Bloc Quebec, the uh, provincial government in Quebec is able to determine um, not refugee resettlement, that would still be done by the Immigration and Refugee Board, but the case that, um, I can't remember his name, but the leader of the Bloc has referenced is for failed asylum seekers that the province would get to decide who gets to stay in Quebec and not the federal government. No, yeah, my understanding is that they are saying even with refugees, how many the province would be expected to settle. I thought that was actually part of the Bloc's platform as well. And resettlement, I think usually resettlement is is referred to with respect to overseas refugees. Mm. And so I I think that that's where the numbers are actually in more. uh, And there usually is a plan for resettlement in a specific place as opposed to the the refugee claimants. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably more. Uh, of a challenge in Quebec right now, in particular because Roxham Road is in Quebec. I mean, that's I know is mm-hmm. is an issue uh, from the from the Quebec perspective. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about refugees near the end mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how that would work. But I don't. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's the, the the hope that there would be provincial control over. Yeah. Which is ironic because it would happen, well, from what I can tell, the bloc is pretty pro-immigration. The current provincial government in Quebec uh, wants to impose values tests and cut immigration by about 20%. So it's an interesting kind of, I guess, the bloc is arguing for the control, even though the result of that control might not be what their leader necessarily wants. I think generally control... Um, has been quite linked to strong um, economic drivers. And I think we're seeing that come through in many of the platforms where often it's based on looking at immigration as meeting labor market needs. And so in these platforms we're describing, um, even the liberal platform about, you know, this the, the input of municipalities, it's almost um, always about how to, and even the blocks platform is a lot about getting workers to the places where there are labor market shortages. So 
it's sort of that demand-driven immigration. And while the Conservatives haven't made um, the who decides part of their platform um, per se, they have spoken about um, a desire to kind of prioritize economic immigration, which is actually what we did see when we did have a Conservative government as well, and more about, you know, focusing on that needs-based immigration. And so it looks like a much more sort of centralized federalist kind of model, but it's still sort of about prioritizing that labor market need. And the Conservatives also increased the uh, provincial nomination program quotas. So um, as we're also looking at a minority government situation where the different parties will have to negotiate, it does seem like, is it safe to predict that the next four years or whatever length of a minority government could feature a devolution of power? We should talk about also that municipal uh, program that Deanna was talking about in the Liberal platform it speaks to creating for up to 5,000 applications a program where cities could apply or nominate people directly. Uh, they haven't really elaborated beyond that nor have they really indicated why they're skipping the provinces. Yeah. To it's kind of funny actually because so many of the provinces have in their nomination programs, they have programs focused at getting people outside of the big city centers. Um, so, you know, even BC has a program where, like, in the P- BC nomination program, you get extra points if you're going to go outside of the city center. So, this does seem to be a little bit counterintuitive to what we're accustomed to seeing, trying to get people out of the big cities and into the more rural areas. Um, the idea now of having a program that's to get people into the cities is kind of, it's a little jarring for us who are yeah well and the liberals also said they would make their atlantic immigration nomination pilot permanent and that's sort of the same question where i wondered well why aren't they just increasing the nomination quotas for those provinces um so i don't know if the liberals are a slight outlier and at least devolution of power to the provinces as opposed to cities I have to say, too, the thing about the Bloc's proposal about conditional permanent residence for those going to Quebec, I was a little surprised by that just because I think it has been a long-standing issue of people coming and landing in Quebec. Like, this was an issue with the investor programs and then immediately immigrating elsewhere. And so, yes, you can make immigration contingent upon that, but that once they're a permanent resident, then they have no obligation to remain there. And so, um, eventually, with permanent residency comes mobility. So, um, so again... Well, which is one of the big challenges, because it's not it's not just that you have to... But it's a constitutional right. To exactly. Mobility, right? And right. so, you would need a constitutional amendment to be able to put and so I don't even understand the block's position on conditional permanent like permanent resident conditional on not moving for sure is blatantly unconstitutional so it would have to be done either uh, using the notwithstanding clause or uh, it would be conditional that the the granting of permanent residence would be conditional uh, on having done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Sure. So like, if you look at the... I assume they tie it to the work permit stage. So with the yeah. British Columbia Business Provincial Nomination Program, applicants have to spend 
75% of their time on their work permit living within 100 kilometers of the business that they start for an average of about the two years of the work permit. So it could be that the block is considering something similar for Quebec, or that they just haven't bought out the actual nitty gritty of uh, yeah. what they're saying. Or remembered the reality of what happened with the Convest- Quebec Investor Program. I mean, maybe they still don't because the Quebec it, well, Investor true. Program. It's not the reality. It's, yeah. Quebec. Well, there's no there's no disincentive to Quebec with respect to the Quebec Investor Program. Right. It's a, it's a they money get making, the money. It's a money making scheme that yeah. that affects other provinces. Right. Um, true enough. Which is, uh, although speaking of the municipal program, I'm I'm cur- I don't know what the motivation is, but if you look at a at a group picture of the premiers compared to a group picture of the mayors of uh, major urban centers in Canada, you may find that the Trudeau government finds themselves. Uh, uh, more willing to work with municipalities than with the uh, the governments in uh, across a number of uh, the major provinces, yeah. uh, which I, I'm not sure if that's a motivation, but it seems to be jumping a step at a particular time uh, politically where we see a number of very conservative governments across yeah. the country. Trudeau has been running against Doug Ford in this election. Um, So let's move on uh, to the second part of that first topic, which are levels. Um, The number of people who immigrate to Canada or who are able to immigrate to Canada. I've got the current levels in front of me just for some context. Uh, This year, the target is for... 330,000 people to be able to immigrate to Canada, of which about 170,000 of that, or no more than that even, 191,000 of that is economic, uh, 88,000 is family, and well, the rest are humanitarian and compassionate, resettled refugees, um, asylum claimants. So we can start you know, the Liberals have gotten some flack for not having a detailed commitments regarding levels in their platform, but they do have supplemental numbers that the department releases, which provides guidance. So the Liberal plan, or not their plan, but the actual department goals is to take that number from about 330,000 in 2019 to around 350,000 in 2021 at more or less the same ratios. Um, in terms of other plans or other, uh, they don't have anything in their platform that suggests a dramatic shift in the makeup of Canada's uh, immigration population. Yes, it makes sense. It's the existing government, more of the same. Um, in terms of the other parties, the NDP have pledged to end the cap at parental on parental sponsorship applications. I don't know, Peter, if you know what that would mean in terms of numbers. I mean, we don't we don't really know what that would mean in terms of numbers, but the except that the. I mean, the experience that we've had with the last two iterations of selecting people into a capped program 
One involved a lottery, uh, which people could sign up for the lottery, and I think about 10% actually got invitations to be able to sponsor their parents. And at that time, there were 200,000 or something like that, if I recall. Mm-hmm. People, who, total, people who tried, people yeah. who, people who tried, tried yeah. and wanted to get into the lottery. Um, my sense of that is that it's probably, there's probably more people than that who would want to sponsor their parents. Um, and grandparents, however, that those numbers that would be an, an initial bubble at the beginning. That's right. And what this, what the actual numbers would look like over time once you got through that initial bubble, um, it, I think is a, a different a different question because once people have sponsored their parents and grandparents, it's not like they're going to sprout more parents and grandparents over <laughs> yeah. time, right? Uh, so the, although the, there will be more people. Immigrating. I mean, the parent and grandparent program has not had caps for its whole existence. Until though, when did they start? When did they close it? Was that 2010? Okay, 10 or 11, something like that. So up till 10 or 11, it was uncapped. And then when they when they they closed it for I think it was two years and at that point I seem to recall that the backlog of applications was around the tune almost almost a hundred thousand applicants with does that about sound an eight-year processing time with about an eight-year processing time so they capped it at that point they closed it at that point closed for two years and then when they, it the, reopened the conservative, the previous conservative government exactly and then when they reopened it every year since then there's been between five and twenty thousand something like that invited yeah. in various different ways so that's where the bubble comes from is that you know if there were so it's hard for us to estimate how many people are still here yeah. that have and been what waiting the NDP hasn't specified is okay let's say there's two hundred thousand people sponsoring their parents I don't know, an average of one, I mean, an average of one to two parents. So, like, is it whether they would quickly admit 300 to 400,000 senior citizens to Canada or how that will be spread out, whether it would be um, lengthy processing times or this initial bubble is something that the NDP have not mm-hmm. yet mentioned. Uh, I think for obvious reasons is that it's easy to make such commitments without would they having keep to actually the same, like yeah, yeah without with ball being silent as to uh, processing times yeah and also like the the sponsorship criteria was much higher um, is much higher now than it was before so would they keep yeah. the higher sponsorship and that criteria? was something the liberals got attacked a little bit was because I think when they when they ran, they said they would increase the number of parent and grandparent applications processed from 10,000 to 20,000. And what they didn't, what ultimately happened was all they did was they doubled the intake, but they didn't double the output. So while technically you had twice as many people being able to apply, you still had the same number of people being granted permanent resident status as parent and grandparents. Now granted in the levels numbers they're rectifying that going forward. Um, but I guess the point is it's it's easy to make kind of vague commitments about dramatically increasing numbers while the without getting into the nitty-gritty of well what's gonna happen either to overall numbers and what does that actually look like or processing times. And so the difference is that those 
um, people are still caught up in a processing backlog. Yeah, yeah. it's just a slowly rebuilding processing backlog. Right. Uh, I think, and I can just pull it open, I have it in front of me on my phone, that they are increasing parent and grandparents 20, 21, 21. So they're not, I mean, they're more or less getting it to number in, number out, whereas initially it was the number in double, but there was a slow buildup in the output. Right. Um, one part. But I think that, those are those are projections for for grants of permanent residents, not applic- not processing of permanent residents. Oh, you're right. So yeah. the the so the intake from this year wouldn't have been granted until right. next yes. year. So you, when you took in twenty thousand this year, twenty thousand applications. No, but it, but if you took out took in twenty thousand applications in February, yeah. you don't need numbers in the levels this year for twenty thousand right. people. And the unless ex- except an express entry in most programs, yeah, you're going to be looking. It coming into the levels next year because those are grants. No but order. even there, if they're taking twenty thousand applications this year and they're going to admit twenty thousand people through the program, mm-hmm. that seems to imply that they're only going to, assuming parents, half uh, of them are couples. Was, yeah. Yeah. Well, twenty. That they're not going to be pros. There's not an even number of people coming in and people coming out because there's twenty thousand applications going in for. Parents. Yeah, There's but you're also assuming all all twenty thousand are going to be are going to be completed and accepted. Right? Yeah, there's I, a high. Well, I'm sure there's a high number. level of refusal given medical admissibility requirements Possibly, yeah. too. So well, medical and the the requirements, the the financial. income require financial requirements, and that's true because all the applications remember, going in are attestation based. Yeah. so the numbers yeah. that actually get in. Yeah, um, a party that does have a specific number is the Green Party with a proposal to find a pathway to permanent residency for the 200,000 people living in Canada without status. Um, We weren't able, I don't think, to find any information about what this program would look like or why it's different or what would make it different from the current humanitarian and compassionate program that exists. I don't know if any of you have heard. I haven't found anything about specifics on this. No. I haven't seen details on it. Yeah. And then going in the other way, Canada's newest, I don't want to say mainstream, but newest party that got to join the debates, uh, the People's Party of Canada wants to reduce immigration from about the 300,000 now to about 100,000 to 150,000. Um, I've heard Maxim Bernier, the leader of that party, speak on this, and it's not clear how he plans to do this um, beyond saying that he wants to maintain the ability to currently sponsor immediate relatives while not reducing economic immigration, which already exceeds at its current numbers his plan. Um, so I don't know if his promise is more just a symbolic thing or uh, how he actually plans or how the People's Party would actually plan on implementing such a dramatic cap other than that, like ignoring how you feel about immigration in general. It would be economic insanity for reasons that we can also get into on the foreign worker side. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to a plan to half levels numbers. 
really feel the need to engage with a party that it, it hasn't really thought through its and it has no intention of governing. I mean, that's the the like there's no. Uh, um, but but in the end, it's it's they're, they're not they're not well well planned out policy proposals that are no. Uh, um, having heard him speak uh, at length on this, it's I sat there wondering how he had been in cabinet when he like he seems anyway the, the numbers. Um, it's just it, the numbers that he's talking about aren't possible while at the same time maintaining the programs that he says he'll maintain. Um, safe third country agreements and other border related issues. Oh, Peter, you want to hit this yeah. one off? So, I mean, basically, there's three broad proposals from what I can see. There's two parties that uh, on, on the... The issue with the with, in terms of arrivals at the southern border, which appears to be the primary concern, um, so there are two parties that are proposing suspending the safe third country agreement. So that's the Green Party and the NDP. There are two parties that I think three. I think the Bloc is there as well. Oh, sorry, the Bloc yeah. is okay. So maybe the Bloc as well. Yeah. And the um, the Conservatives and the People's Party. Uh, so the Conservatives have a a very um, nebulous plan to renegotiate the safe third country agreement and to be more strict about it to stop people from coming in uh, with no clarity on how that would actually happen because without the consent of the US and this is the big problem I mean the, the fundamental thing to understand about the southern border is that the ability to send people back to the United States based on international law requires the consent of the United States so once somebody's in Canada you can't simply send them back to the United States um, without the US accepting to take the person back and in most practices in international law, a country doesn't have an obligation to take back non-citizens. And so the U.S. will take back its own citizens. But when you're dealing with non-citizens, it's really only at the ports of entry that when somebody bounces back from a port of entry and that there's a U.S. port of entry at the other side. In other words, they know the person has just come there and bounced back, that they those people will still be considered to be the United States. The U.S.'s problem, or, or be uh, um, go back to the U.S. Um, so there's been no real. The proposal from the People's Party is uh, to just declare the entire border to be a port of entry, uh, which I understand Mr. Shear may have um, uh, toyed with the idea as well, because there were there were definitely discussions in the. Um, uh, among the Conservative Party uh, at one point about doing this, um, which is simply not functional for two reasons. One is that you can't, making the entire border a port of entry creates all kinds of other problems with respect to Canadian immigration and customs law because people then just have to, you have an obligation to report at a port of entry. And so if the whole border is a port of entry, you can just cross wherever you want. We would have no illegal immigration if the whole border was a port because of entry. Because it would all be legal immigration yeah. because everybody would be entering <laughs> through a port of entry, right? Like it's so, which is just non-functional just from a, uh, but even if 
you were to say, oh, the person arrived because we call the whole border a port of entry, the U.S. has to take them back. The U.S. is not going to recognize our declaration of our entire border as a port of entry as any reason for them to take back people who we find three weeks later in Canada and say, well, they came in through a port of entry and therefore we're, we're sending them back. Um, so to the to the extent that those are uh, these these proposals, um, which are very uh, nebulous and not very um, or to the extent that there's any substance to them, the the liberal proposal seems to be in between in terms of saying, well, we're not going to suspend the safe third country agreement, but we're going to create these parallel ports of entry like Roxham Road where people can cross irregularly but it's kind of encouraged to do it and we set up the infrastructure there and create a parallel port of entry um, you know that's I don't see as as um, it's it's a way of suspending the safe third country agreement without suspending it and to discourage people there's other mechanisms that are being put into the law to make people who've made refugee claims elsewhere not access the uh, refugee hearings and and other types of mechanisms but um, ultimately um, I mean my view which I think I've expressed on the podcast before is that suspending the safe third country agreement would make the whole thing much more transparent and orderly in terms of saying if people are going to come here and make refugee claims they should just do it at a port of entry um, and saying that if you want to make a refugee claim don't come to a port of entry um, just doesn't seem like a very functional uh, my understanding uh, also is that this is the safe third country agreement and the border the asylum claimants at the border is sort of last year's or two years ago's issue um, and then numbers have kind of leveled off and come back to the historic mean if not slightly above um, like it hasn't been as big a campaign issue well at all like I think it's barely been a campaign issue maybe in Quebec a little bit more if that's where the influx had been but it hasn't certainly dominated the news at all in the past year the way it used to the overall numbers haven't gone up that significantly over historic levels, even at the height. It was just a quite, it's really a question of where people are coming from and how they're coming in. But in terms of the of the overall numbers, um, they weren't significantly above historic levels. Um, you know, they, there's dips and there's there's always yeah. ups and downs in refugee numbers based on world affairs and and you know the overall movement of people, but. Um, so those are that seems to be an issue. There's a proposal to, to hire an extra 250 CBSA officers. That's I don't buy that's the conservative proposal. Yeah, I think it's 400 from the PPC. They're saying that it just it's it's an enforcement mandate that this is how we need to shore up. Well, and the conservatives will also solve the problem by physically moving the immigration refugee board building closer to the port of entry because that commute. It's what's been causing the delays. Oh, that's that's one of the conservative. That's right. One of the conservative <laughs> proposals is to move the board down to the down to the the down to Roxham Road, down to right. the illegal exactly. ports of entry, not not to the ports of entry. That's that's oh. exactly no no. This is the thing is that it's it's not to to uh, to move them to well. Let's, let's just actually look at the actual. We will move existing immigration and refugee board judges to common illegal border yeah. crossing points. 
speeding up the process and therefore making it less attractive to enter Canada illegally. So you have which your hearing is, right there on well, the spot. Is this the idea? Is well, that what we're talking about? One is that presumably the idea would be this. This idea is <laughs> is so what poorly thought out in so many ways I don't get it. that. <laughs> This is not something that was drafted by Jason Kenney. I can tell you that. I can yeah. tell you that. Uh, right. I mean, in, in terms of somebody who, uh, uh, Jason Kenney and I, just to, to be clear, had our significant danger divergences of opinion mm-hmm. with respect to how he implemented. But in terms of his grasp of immigration oh policy, gosh. I can say that I was. Uh, um, I, I will concede his his grasp his of the formidable policy. Formidable intelligence. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, but uh, whoever drafted this obviously hasn't thought this through um, because one, the, this is exactly what we're talking about, about setting up parallel ports of entry where the idea is that you would set this up at Roxham Road, therefore legitimizing the entire parallel entry rather than simply suspending the safe third country agreement and setting these things up at the port of entry which is the way that if you were going to do this would be the way to do it is to say you have to come to the port of entry if you want to make a claim and make it legal for people to come to the port of entry make a claim and then if you want to have a process right then and there um, the idea that you're going to have a fair refugee process that's going to happen as soon as people arrive is very difficult to believe Mm -hmm. but even setting that aside for me uh, the rates of success of the refugee claims of people who've been coming in the success rates have gone up Mm. not down Mm -hmm. and so what we're talking about is not bogus refugees yeah. and this is this was the, the the rhetoric that we saw from the previous government uh, sorry the previous conservative government around bogus refugees right that rhetoric we don't see now because the numbers of successful claims have gone up in other words overall these claims are in the 40 50 percent or more um, although I think they're triaging them based on country and likelihood of success. I might be wrong on that, but that's been my understanding just from reading some of the departmental materials is that they're trying to get the really clear ones like through and uh, to then deal with a longer backlog of people from less obvious countries. I mean, there there are different factors if you look at the different groups of people who are coming in. But overall, the people who are arriving are not... Mm -hmm. uh, The fast processing of a legitimate claim is not a disincentive for people to come. And that's where this, this idea that speeding up the process and therefore making it less attractive to enter Canada illegally doesn't only make sense if you your the idea is that the process is either going to be unfair or that the claims are going to be denied. Huh. But if someone has a legitimate claim, a fast processing is anything is but a disincentive. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah. Uh, and for refugee advocates for a long time, we've been calling for fast, fair mm-hmm. decisions, right? Like there's in like you know fast fair and final decisions is yeah. is something that everybody in the refugees in the refugee process wants. It's a question of balancing fast and fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
On refugee resettlement, the Conservatives have also pledged to A, focus on genocide survivors and also to end the cap on the private sponsorship of refugees. Um, I don't... Oh, and on refugees also, the Green Party would create a class of refugees... um, Climate refugees. Climate refugees or environmental refugees. I'm not sure if we've done a podcast on the idea of environmental refugees. I had a conversation with uh, François Crépeau last week. Mm. Ah. The first part of our conversation (laughs) is about about, uh, why climate... uh, why we shouldn't refer to them as climate refugees. So Mm. Why we shouldn't uh, refer to them. Well, that that climate change is going to have a significant impact on migration and that it needs to be considered... um, but it, it was a very interesting conversation hmm. that we'll be posting uh, likely after this episode, as this episode is uh, somewhat topical, and we should probably post Timely. it. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to post this in November. Yeah. No, that wouldn't so, make much sense. But we we have a detailed uh, or a, a long discussion with uh, Professor Crepeau from McGill, uh, where we'll talk about climate uh, mm-hmm. climate refugees. Um, yeah. Other uh, the other topic that many parties have touched upon is the temporary foreign worker program, mm-hmm. with the Green Party uh, saying that they will end the temporary foreign worker party, the PPC saying that they will basically end the temporary foreign worker party so that only truly temporary people... What's that? You're saying the temporary foreign worker party. Oh, temporary foreign worker party. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Greens and the PPC will end the temporary foreign worker program. Mm -hmm. Um, for, For different reasons, you think? Uh, well, one way, yeah. well, yeah, the Greens say that they will immediately make everyone an immigrant, um, and the PPC say that they will only admit temporary foreign workers who don't compete with the Canadian labor market. So it seems the underlying presumption with the Greens is that it's um, the precarious status of being a temporary foreign worker is something to be eliminated across the board. Yeah, I have to assume that the Greens aren't, like, the Temporary Foreign Worker Program is huge. Like, it encompasses everyone from caregivers, although they don't go through the Temporary Foreign Worker Program anymore, anymore. to um, people who come and do repairs on cruise ships, to uh, people who are here for a few weeks in certain entertainment jobs so the idea that the temporary foreign worker program that all of those people would need to immigrate before they could work on a cruise ship repairing the cruise ship for a day during the summer is obviously preposterous and I have to assume not what she means or the way the Greens mean by abolishing the temporary foreign worker program um, and making everyone an immigrant right away because like I think act for a lot of temporary foreign workers who have no desire to immigrate Mm -hmm. um, and just want to come for a month or two and then leave, but they do have to enter that program. Even just things like uh, international experience Canada, where, you know, based on reciprocity, you know, young people from Australia can come here because young people from Canada can go there, you know, um, 
uh, you know, these, there's, there's many, many examples where yeah. people that graduate from universities can then have some time to get some Canadian work experience. Like there's so many examples even that aren't super short term, but that are based on the idea of just being able to spend a bit of time. And there's always been this tension in the law and that the temporary foreign worker program or foreign workers as well as students aren't capped the same way that immigration is. So there's always way more people here um, that are arriving as students and temporary foreign workers that unless the country wanted to dramatically increase its population could stay on as immigrants right away. So I don't see unless there's a corresponding we are going to reduce the number of international students um, as well as foreign workers to only match the number of immigrants that we want. I don't see this as being feasible at all. Um, on the PPC side, I, I just don't know what they mean by people who are entering to work that won't compete with Canadians and that, yeah. Unless they're being really literal and they, and they mean like people with LMIA-based work permits, not any of those LMIA-exempt people that we're talking but about. But what's the... We'd have to pull open the actual... Like, I think the wording goes beyond... I don't think they're implying just LMIA. Like, I don't think so either, but... Um, and it could be. Like, there is a significant... Although I don't know if it's the same people who would vote green necessarily who do think that Canadian, you know, prior, like, I think that universities should be more focused on the domestic student market. Um, but I don't, I just, I don't know if they've thought the implications of, uh, or maybe if the, pro, if the exact wording is eliminate the temporary foreign worker program and address labor shortages by increasing immigration. Working with employers um, to establish paths to permanent residency. So there still is this issue of the four, like, unless they want to cap, either you have a dramatic increase in population or there will just be this tension of, do, is, is there a counter proposal to limit the number of students and um, foreign workers to match Canada's immigration needs? And, you know, that could be, that's an interesting policy and philosophical discussion in of itself. Well, I mean, and the other thing for me is that there's there's a lot of workers, like I I've, I've know a lot of people from the U.S., for example, or from other places who come here who don't want permanent residence. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like they work they work here because they they have businesses or they, they work for transnational companies or there's any number of reasons why they have work permits to be able to come here and do work on a regular basis. Uh-huh. Um, but don't actually want permanent residence for a whole bunch of different reasons, not not the least of which would be that there's residency obligations that go along with being a permanent resident. Mm-hmm. In yeah, other words, even tax you, implications, you, yeah, they... There's, yeah. Well, and imagine the... Well, not just the tax implication. Imagine coming in here as an American or anywhere, I'll do the cruise ship example, working on that cruise ship for two weeks as an immigrant, then leaving, then coming back two years later and being told... You haven't complied with the residency obligation. You're inadmissible <laughs> to Canada. Actually, we were just discussing this recently, given another case. Not only a criminal, it's actually a criminal offense. 
to what? It's yeah. a breach of Section 120. It's it's contrary to Section 124, not to comply with your residency obligation. Right. Anyway, well, we could talk about that another time. Uh, <laughs> and then just in the interest of time, some last uh, final kind of potpourri, I guess, of commitments. The Liberals would end citizenship processing fees, currently cost $630. Not sure off the top of my head what it costs for minors. That would be eliminated for everyone. I think they said that it would cost $110 million per year to do so. Um, we all think that's a rather curious campaign premise, but uh, there you have it. Weird place to be looking to cut costs. But Well, I'm just surprised they didn't well, tie it to income, considering all citizenship applicants have to agree to let the Canada immigration see their tax returns. And uh, like, I can see why you wouldn't want the citizenship application fees to be an obstacle to you know, someone who's lived here their whole life but can't afford the citizenship fee, but I don't see why everyone has to be exempt. Um, yeah. You have all the places to apply it. This is just kind of an odd one for me. Well, I mean, I think it's, for me, the citizenship fee, you definitely see it in certain circumstances where um, I see a lot of cases where people would have applied for citizenship or their parents would have applied. And you see a significant difference of people who find themselves in a situation where they get involved with, you know, you for me, it's with the criminal within the criminal system, mm-hmm. where you have often you have four kids, and one of them didn't. You, they didn't. The kid, the parents didn't apply for citizenship, or for whatever reason, the they, the family didn't apply for citizenship. If it, it is a, a real coming up with six hundred dollars mm-hmm. per applicant. For low-income families, it's a low lot income. of money. Yeah, right? but if it had been and, with an income test, right, right. I would get it. Yeah. But the idea of making it across the board, you know, uh, I would say probably 90% of the people doing their citizenship test who were economic immigrants to begin with. Uh, yeah, I think... Economic, no, I, yeah. Like, wiping it out across the board, I don't I don't know why they've decided yeah, to do it, it that way. And yeah. I don't, I don't know what the... Uh, you know, obviously, it's not constituents that they're looking at either, unless they're, because by definition, the people who are going to be applying for citizenship are not <laughs> going to be voting in this election. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, in any event. Yeah. And uh, then last one, at least on my list, uh, the NDP is proposing a nationwide foreign buyers tax. Uh, it's not directly related to immigration, but I know in our practice we saw some foreign workers and some businesses move people to Ontario instead of BC because the employees wanted to buy property and were deterred by the uh, foreign buyers tax in BC and it's either lower or Ontario doesn't have one. Um, is there any other, any other campaign pledges on immigration, things people should watch for if immigration is their top motivator? when they vote? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I think, a number of the party, like the Conservative, including the Conservative Party and others, talk about settlement services as well, mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. the importance of funding settlement, um, the, um, you know, the 
the PPC, the, the People's Party seems to frame that in a very, uh, in a, in the context of hostility to multiculturalism um, and the intention of doing away with the Multiculturalism Act, and, and there's a, there's a, an entire uh, program there that that uh, well, they talk is about very values, values based, tests. values tests, and the whole the, that whole uh, shtick. That that doesn't seem to be, uh, but there is a, a focus uh, on access, on language training, credential recognition. Uh, services for vulnerable newcomers um, such as women and girls and members of the LGBTQ uh, community um, which is interesting given given the you know, some of the reluctance from the, the leader of the Conservative Party on some of those issues but mm-hmm. those are um, uh, but those the, the importance of settlement services I think is, is one of the things that seems to be uh, across the other parties uh, yeah. to be a part the, uh, or at least the importance uh, of it is recognized the values test is interesting not so much because of the PPC but because Quebec is going ahead with theirs and the sense that I got from at least the coverage of the French debate, was that none of the federal parties seem inclined to want to intervene on it. Although I think the Conservatives said they had hesitations about it, but that there will be then, at least until the courts possibly get involved, one province that has a values test, whatever that looks like. Um, What about on, when we look at these platforms, assuming it's a minority government, is there anything that different, like, I guess we talked earlier that it's likely that there'll be a devolution towards provinces, given multiple parties hinting towards that? Is there anything else that uh, we can predict with regards to immigration? I mean, it's hard when you don't know who the government will be. Well, I think that there's enough sense from many of the parties that there is still um, a strong... Um, unity in the sense of um, like even the the liberals have had a lot of rhetoric around this notion of preventing asylum shopping like there's still a lot of that conversation about true persecution and all of that kind of thing so um, you know I, I think we can um, we can imagine that that's still going to figure strongly into immigration in the years to come. So what happened in the last four years? Because four years ago, except for the Conservatives, all the other parties were tripping over themselves to say who could welcome the most Syrian refugees. And I would argue, at least in part, that an elect- well, at least in part that Justin Trudeau's commitments on Syrian refugees and the hope that that inspired was part of what got him his majority. There's nothing similar like that, at least on immigration and the liberal platform this time around. Like, why is that? Like, what's happened in the last four years that would cause that sort of shift from everyone, I guess, but the Greens? For me, it's funny because certainly the resettlement of of the oversee this the settlement of um, of overseas refugees um, was sort of like this bright shining hope part of the the liberal platform, but what we've seen in terms of the way the temperament of immigration over the period of the liberal um, government has been very 
um, has been very non-welcoming. I mean, in terms of the, the, I, I, I haven't found humanitarian and compassionate decision-making to be open. I found it, in fact, quite conservative, um, even growing more so. I found, mm-hmm. um, you know, just even things like... Rates of misrepresentation... Now, this could also just be reflective of the applicants, but mm-hmm. rates of misrepresentation findings are soaring. Oh, my soaring goodness. Soaring. certain visa posts, at least. In terms of, like, the instructions, like, in terms of how hard the department is fighting against all sorts of admissibility claims, I'm finding that extremely high. Um, the difficulty of getting consents on things that I feel like I could have got consent on in the past, very, very high. So um, so I don't think that this is a, a campaign change. This has been fairly consistent throughout um, the period that the Trudeau government has been in place. I think Trump also happened. I mean, that's the, the because that was after, that was 2016. Right. And this was, the election was in 2015. Right. And so you saw the whole... The, I mean, this is the focus of the, the conservative platform on refugees around this, this idea that the Welcome to Canada tweet was what set this dynamic off, which I, I find difficult to, I mean, perhaps it was part of a, of a broader message um, with respect to Canada's attitude towards refugees in contrast to the Trump administration, which is openly hostile, right. which is openly, um, and there have been you know, and in terms of numbers that have been coming in, um, we had gone through a period where the numbers have been significantly reduced. Um, we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. That happened. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, the. Um, but the numbers have been significantly reduced. Right. And then we saw them coming back up again. Right. Um, That's right. I mean, we were coming out of a kind of a dark period. So there was like a breath of, <gasps> okay, we're back. But um, at the same time, I don't think you'll find, maybe you guys will disagree, but I don't think you'll find any, any immigration or refugee practitioner who will say this has been an easy, breezy period of time for practitioners these days, that there has been an open and welcoming period um, for, for newcomers in Canada. I don't know if you guys disagree. I mean, it'd be program to program specific. Like across the system, no. Um, I mean, who was it who said that the difference now is that refusals will come with a smiley face at the end? Mm-hmm. There'll be well, there'll be longer decisions. It's not often just a like no period. There. Yeah. It's thank you well- for your interest in Canada at the end of, ref- of a refusal with an exclamation mark instead of a period. Right. Um, but yeah. I mean, on the refugee side, I would assume it's much different. It's much different. No, I mean it's it might come faster. And in fact, the new the new proposal, like the, well, right, this, right, this new, yeah, this new yeah. draw, um, restrictions on access to the board, in fact, have been expanded. Right. Yeah. So you know you. So in, in that sense, I don't know that we've seen significant changes. Um, the overall levels have gone of claimants have gone up. Um, with respect to private sponsorship of refugees, in fact, the CPC is is proposing lifting the caps altogether, uh, which would open those programs up um, 
you know, more broadly in terms of people being able to privately, uh, privately sponsor refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to the, to the extent that I think one of the things that we see across all the platforms and which quite frankly was, was, uh, from the conservative platform was clear that they were still very supportive of immigration, right? Like even the conservative party, aside from the people's party, which is the outlier, yeah. um, all of the parties are supportive of robust immigration. Yeah, even, even said the new numbers, the increase in numbers is reasonable. Well, and they they don't call for a decrease in them. They're they're calling for a, 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 the gradual types of incremental increases, which we've seen over the past thirty years, yeah. right? Which has been more or less the same percentage of our population. I mean, I think they're saying, yeah, we're in support of immigration as long as it doesn't cost us too much. So I mean, that's where it's where like privately sponsored. Because I think part of the difference is at the height of the deficit action reduction program, you got the sense that the department couldn't afford to have all of the processing centers fully staffed. Like resources, I mean, we saw the number of layoffs, resources would have to be reallocated here or there. The Inside Canada program processing time soared, yeah. whereas now you don't see, you get the sense that there's not a shortage, and there certainly doesn't seem to be a shortage of cash or money in the system since they're going to waive citizenship fees. That's what I don't get. So you, I think that's part of the difference is you don't get the sense that there are delays due to a shortage of people. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's like, well, as long as it serves the economy or that if it's compassionate based immigration, that there's somebody going to bankroll it, then we're good with it. What, on the conservative? um, Mm -hmm. But but when you look at their actual platform, like what they say is, you know, Canada was built on a rock solid foundation of enduring values, democratic institutions, mm-hmm. universal human rights, that have made Canada a beacon of hope for most so many, etc. And then they say, they, they actually say, sadly, under Justin Trudeau, a record high number of Canadians believe that immigration numbers should be reduced, right? So they're actually saying that they, they and they want to restore faith in the immigration system. Yeah, but then they so also the say that they want it to be directed toward economic immigration and that where refugees are concerned, they want more enforcement and they want more private sponsorship, which is exactly what happened under um, the conservative government previously. Oh, and I have no doubt that Yeah, they want to reduce family sponsorship, family reunification. That's not their objective. They want... Conservatives said they're going to focus on family reunification. Really? Um, In their immigration background, or it's a separate... No, their uh, well, their focus is is not on uh, on reunification. Oh yeah, support oh, yeah, fairness yeah. and support the family reunification program, in particularly in case involving parents and grandparents. Which the train wreck that happened this this year, I think, and yeah. even that, although you know I don't. I don't see that as saying that as saying that they want more parents and grandparents. They're saying that the process needs to be transparent, and I think that that's fair enough. This year's process was a gong show. Yeah. I guess it's do you believe Justin Trudeau when he says that Maxim Bernier says publicly what Andrew Shear says privately? But I don't actually believe that that zinger, as they called it from the debate, is accurate. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean the uh, the other thing they're talking about in the conservative platform is is this reunification with respect to victims of genocide. I'm not sure who they have in mind other than the Yazidis. I'm not sure 
who it is that they're that they're talking about making it easier for family reunification for the victims of genocide. So I'm not sure which which victims of genocide have we taken without their families. Well, I, I'm just wondering, like, is it, which which genocides have there been? Like the the, the ones that have been described in terms of, of recent genocides, the ones in Central Africa, and then the the situation with the Yazidis. I don't know which other, uh, like, what else it is that they have in mind there. Um, in any event, it's an interesting. Uh, Hmm. It's thing to focus on, but just given the focus that the uh, I know Michelle Rempel had when she was an immigration critic was was definitely on that particular group. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that, or if something like that ended up in the platform, that that may well be one of the factors. What they're looking at. Okay, okay we shall see. Yeah. We're ten days away from the election. Whoa. Your phone's gonna ring again in a second. Mm-hmm. Say it's three thirty. Well, no, my phone is turned off. <laughs> I actually, I actually turned it off now. <laughs> so I apologize to the listeners. You know, yes. well, I take it Steve's not going to edit that out now. Yes. <laughs> Happy voting, all. Yeah. All right.